I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Wood Talk. Now here are three guys who might stop by to ask for a cup of slab. Mark, Shannon, and Matt. Yeah, baby, we'll do that. Give me a cup of slab and a cup of sugar while I'm there. Give me that. Give it to me. Uh, let's see, it's show 432 for April 23rd, 2018. And guess what, guys? It's Nicole's birthday. Happy birthday. Happy I'm really birthday. bad. Really bad Have with a dates. a cup of slab. Have a cup of slab on us. <laughs> exactly <laughs> you know? what she always wanted. She was asking me for that. In fact, I think Cuppa Slab is on her Amazon wish list. Cuppo Slab. Oh! oh. Just a couple seconds too late. Uh, all right. So it is Nicole's birthday. It's a very important thing. And I'll tell you, the reason so I know her birthday, off. the reason I know her birthday is because since I was a kid collecting baseball cards, I memorized uh, Don Mattingly's jersey number was 23. And then when I met Nicole and she said her birthday was April 23rd, my birthday's in April, so it was easy to remember the month. And the day was easy because I was like, oh, that's Don Mattingly's number. So there's that. And that, uh, nobody really cares about that. I have no idea why I even said that. I don't know who that is. <sighs> you were too young. <laughs> you don't, I don't even think you were paying attention to baseball in like 1985. What were you doing in 1985? 86. Uh, I was still some kind of sperm or egg. You were uh, drinking milk from your mom at that at that age. I was not. Even, not yet. Oh, my God. Really? Yeah, you're you're post eighty seven. You're post Back to the Future. Yeah, that's eighty five, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh god, is that, is that how we judge timelines now? Generally, that's how Pre I pre and post Back to the Future. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's post Back to the Future one. That's terrible. Oh my god. I told you, you know, I'm, I'm a millennial. I don't understand. I, know. I try to forget. Like but it surprises you every time. It keeps haunting me. I try to forget <laughs> about it. Uh, Add a greater sense of value to Zemeckis and the and the the global world influence there that's incredible yeah okay so on today's show we're talking about just <laughs> this still the intro oh, just waiting for it to uh to, to recording to eventually hit hit something valuable um okay on today's show we're going to talk about this latin word ozaroa reticulata unnecessary expensive tools cross-grain workbench and making a table lighter and if there are dogs screaming in the dog? background, I was uh, say, what is that noise? Should I just persist or should I get them out of the office? That's that's the question. <laughs> well, uh, now I'm, I know what it is. It's less bad. I wasn't um, really, yeah. Totally when sure when the two of them hearing. wrestle, Millie's like, oh, it's really weird. So you might hear it in the background. All right. So really quick, uh, today's show is sponsored by our friends over at Bruso Hardware. Are you looking for inspiration for your next project? Bruso Hardware features amazing customer submitted projects in their photo extra newsletter. It's updated every week. It showcases the dedication and craftsmanship of your fellow woodworkers. What kind of projects you ask? Is that what you just asked, Matt? What kind of projects would yeah. you say were in there? I could have sworn I heard you ask that. Uh, how about keepsake boxes, humidors, furniture, and more. They also share their thoughts behind the process of building those projects. So if you want a sweet dose of inspiration delivered straight to your inbox, then sign up by visiting brusso.com slash photo extra. 
And I am subscribed to the Photo Extra, and I receive my weekly dose of inspiration every week because it's weekly. Fantastic. Wow. Yeah. That was deep. Yeah. And Shannon, Shannon just uh, stocked up on their big sale that they had not too long ago. He's, uh, he, he's got tons. He's got <laughs> knife hinges for days over there. I'm like Scrooge McDuck. Swimming oh. in knife hinges. Yeah, throwing them up in the air. He's like, uh, everybody's jealous of Shannon over there with his sweet, sweet knife hinges. Okie doke. So yeah, that's bruso.com and bruso.com slash photo extra. You can get more information oh, on that hinges, stuff. Man. You ever take it off sweet jumps? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, let's get, let, let's actually kick things off with a, a couple of voicemails here. First nah, one. Nah, this, is, this is good. Let's just keep doing this. Yeah, I like this. No, let's go to voicemails. Uh, right. This one is from, uh, I'm going to call him Kevin Dice Clay. Oh boy. Hey, if it ain't the gorilla, the giggler, and the goomba. Oh, oh, triple G in the house. What's happening, guys? All right. Now that I got that idiocy out of the way, let's go to my question. <laughs> big fan of seal coat and big fan of tight bond liquid hide glow. So, my question is is there enough benefit from the stuff that you have to mix yourself? Talking about shellac flakes and the, the high glue that you got to boil, making a pot like a witch. Is there enough benefit with those things uh, that outweigh the tremendous convenience of just being able to use the pre-made stuff? Um, am I missing out on something by not, uh, by, by not using these, these things? Uh, love to hear your opinions. Probably not Mark's because... I really don't picture him, you know, mixing up hide glue. Do you even have a glue pot, bro? I mean, come on. All right. Later, boys. Mm-mm-mm. All I picture is Shannon in a witch's hat, like hull around a cauldron. <laughs> Sweet hide glue. I just I just love the, the new form of woodworking shaving. Do you even have a glue pot? Uh, a glue pot? Yeah. I don't. Glue. I don't. All right. Kevin, is that okay with you? <laughs> Uh, that's great. So, what do you guys think? We're we're mixing stuff versus pre, you know, pre-made and and shellac and hide glue are the primary things in question. Mm. Well, I can tell you from a hide glue perspective, um, unless you're doing like veneer, uh, I don't really know. I mean, for normal projects and joinery and things like that, liquid high glue works just fine. I mm-hmm. do prefer old brown over um, tight bond. I, I like the lower viscosity of old brown glue. Mm-hmm. Um, but even then, I mean, I've got a, a bottle of tight bond on my shelf. And if my hand happens to hit that first, that's what I'm using. <laughs> right. Um, when you're doing veneer, uh, the, the pre-mixed and heated stuff, it, it tacks up a lot faster a lot easier um just makes the whole process a lot easier than the the stuff the because of the what is it urea that's put in the glue to keep it uh keep it liquid whatever it is whatever mm-hmm. that magic is that's thrown in there the pixie dust Are you peeing in your it. glue <laughs> urina <laughs> <laughs> yes yes matt i pee in my is that pee, part pee. of your witch's brew pee in the glue pot <laughs> that's the name of this show there it is i'm gonna write it down <laughs> pee in the glue pot. Okay. Uh, so, shellac. <laughs> so yeah, from a glue perspective, I think only on a very specific reason when it comes to, and even then, like, hammer veneering stuff. Um, and veneering when you've got, like, multiple parts where you kind of need them to be in the right place. Like, it's not like you're just using one sheet of glue or veneer over over a substrate and you're just going to trim it uh, to size later. Like, if you're doing a, a fan um, marquetry or something like that and you want it to stay in place, mm-hmm. the uh, the stuff you mixed up tacks up a lot faster. Okay. Uh, you know what? For shellac, I think you can totally get away with using the canned stuff. But, you know, these things have shelf lives. Uh, the, the cool thing about shellac, if you do mix your own, I'm not even going to say that there's a major quality difference. I think if you're into French polishing, you're probably going to notice a difference because you are doing a lot more with the material than simply just laying on coats. Uh, so that that's going to be a big deal. But if you're um, not necessarily doing that, uh, you know, mixing your own, you, you you actually have the ability to mix a certain amount. So the cool thing is you have the dry flakes and you only mix what you need. 
You know, you don't have to worry about like the shelf life and, and the stuff going bad. So I think you get more longevity out of a bag of flakes or, you know, powder or whatever it is uh, to be able to make your own shellac as needed. And if it is a higher quality, you've got that bonus too. Um, so for me, I don't use shellac all that often. I'd rather just have a bag of flakes that I could go to whenever I need it rather than uh, go out and buy a can, which I'll probably only use half of and then it'll sit there and be bad by the time I need to use it again. Um, so, uh, for shellac, that's, that's how I would handle it. But yeah, I don't have a glue pot, so I don't worry about high glue. Shut up, Kevin. <laughs> All right. You have any other, uh, stuff to add to that, Matt? I'm kind of like the same, the same pot as you. <laughs> In the same glue oh. pot as me? Oh! Oh! All right. <laughs> Kevin, Kevin, I can, I can throw in, um, if you like using the liquid stuff and you like using shellac, check out Royal Lac over at shellacfinishes.com. I love that stuff. And it definitely, it, it's, it's a higher quality finish. It's got greater quality or clarity to it. Um, but again, Mark's right in the fact that unless you're doing French polishing, you may not notice it as much. But to me, it just, it, there, there's something about that finish that feels so much better and looks better than like the Zenser stuff. Mm-hmm. Keeping in mind, I have a can of Zenser seal coat in my cabinet <laughs> next to the Royal Lac. But um, yeah, certainly there is a price difference lack over seal coat. Sure, sure. All right, um, we have one here from Aaron. Hey, Mark, Shannon, and Matt, a.k.a. the cute one, the smart one, and the funny one. Hold up. I just started getting serious. Hold up. Who's who? <laughs> I think we all have those qualities. Do we take Do we take him in the order he, he provided? Because he did give our names first and then said a.k.a. So let's, hold on, let me back this okay, up. Sir, I Okay. Hey, Mark, Shannon, and Matt. So Mark, Shannon, and Matt. A.K.A. the cute one. The... I'm the cute one? The <laughs> one and the funny one. Okay, so wow. then I'm the cute one, Shannon's the smart one, and Matt's the funny one. Ooh. Maybe. I want to okay. be the funny one. I don't know how cute you are. I don't want to. I don't care about being cute. I'm married. I'm 40 years old. What do I give yeah, a crap? You're, you're, the ship sailed for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm at sea at this point. I just, you know, I want to be the funny guy. Uh, but yeah, I think definitely the, the smart one is Shannon. There's no doubt about that. He, well, the thing is we're all pretty smart. Shannon just likes to let everyone know that he's smart. (laughs) (laughs) That's the difference. I want to be the cute one. (laughs) I never get to be the cute one. Uh, Okay. I'll, uh, I'll shut up now and let Aaron finish his question. I just started getting serious about woodworking and I have a basic question. I have a five-year-old daughter who wants to be a radiologist and a two-and-a-half-year-old son who we're pretty sure will be an engineer. How do I decide whose college fund I'm going to use to buy all the tools and lumber? (laughs) Seriously, though, I want to build my daughter a Purple Heart chest of drawers, and I plan on modifying the Guild project by replacing the walnut with Purple Heart. Which species will contrast the Purple Heart best on the sides and drawer fronts, and how do I keep the Purple Heart purple? Love the show, guys. Aaron in Littleton, Colorado. Two things. He's in Littleton. So am I. Aaron, we should be buds. Let's hang out. Um, the second thing, I'm going to let Shannon answer this question. <laughs> Since I know how much he loves contrasting species and things like that. Yeah, that's never going away. <laughs> so what, what would you put with, with Purple Heart, Shannon? Maple, right? Yeah. <laughs> you remember, remember a couple of shows ago when we did Things We Hate? Yeah. yeah. Uh, purple Heart. Uh, why do you want to keep it purple? It looks better when it goes to that kind of brownish red, I think. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I think what you need to think about is complement rather than contrast in this particular instance. I think cherry works pretty well with purple heart. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a deep, well, if you keep it purple, like a deeper, um, like reddish brown wood can work really well as well. Problem is, have you guys had any success in keeping it like that really bright, vibrant purple? I don't think there's a whole lot you can do. Eventually, it's going to turn red brown. Right. I'm sitting next to a purple heart table and it is red, like red. Yeah. Not brown, red. Yeah, it's kind of inevitable that it's going to make that change. It will it will generally not stay that vibrant purple color that it starts. If you want to keep it it that way, way, resurface it every couple of years. Oh, (laughs) Yeah. That sounds that sounds fun. Yeah, that's it would finish. Hmm. Because it's not even it's not even a sunlight issue. It's it's an oxidization issue. So even if it's sitting like in in the dark, um, it will do it slower, 
no question, but it's still going to change into that very reddish red color in Matt's case. It's red. <laughs> right. It's, it's red. So and I, and I think that's important to look at as far as what species you use to complement it. Because like I said, you know, you could do, you know, maybe a bobinga would look kind of cool while it's purple, but then it's just going to look all bobinga when it's done. Yeah. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, Aaron, you know, we're, we're friends. We're from the same town. Um, <laughs> I feel like I'm, we're close enough that I could be honest with you here. I would advise against that using purple heart in this context there. And this is something that I'm guilty of. I think everybody, once you get into the world of exotics and you start to realize things like Paduke exist and things like, uh, I'm not going to throw Babinga under the bus cause I love Babinga, uh, but like purple heart. And I, I think, heart. yeah, that too. And I think we have a tendency to say, yes, let's use these. But five years from now, you're going to look at that thing and you're going to go, why did I use that much purple heart in that project? <laughs> Five years from now, that box you made out of Purple Heart, Yellow Heart, and Lacewood, yeah. it's in the shop holding rubber bands to use as clamps. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I hear. <clears throat> right? I mean, it's the, to be completely honest with you, there's a point where some of these really uh, bright, vivid species just don't work great on a larger scale like that. Uh, and, and he's right for toning it down a little bit by saying, well, I don't want to use it for the panels, for the legs, for the top. I'm just going to, you know, do this uh, two-tone thing following the, I guess I used uh, walnut and cherry as my two. Um, it's going to be really hard to find a complementary wood that's going to look good in five years. And, and part of the problem is just purple heart is purple heart. And it's a, with purple heart, it's a less is more proposition. And I think using it as a primary furniture element is a little bit risky. You might regret it in the future. What if you dyed it? So now people do that with walnuts to keep it from changing. Can you dye purple heart to keep it purple-ish? Yeah, but it's that's that's still the problem. It's still purple. It's still I know purple. that, but it's it's for a a small girl, <laughs> as opposed to a large one. You know, uh, whose co- whose color preferences would be very different? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, and when they're when she's uh, you know fifteen, she's gonna paint it anyway. Yeah. Okay. All right. You bring up a good point. You know, a little kid uh, or or someone who just likes purple might really really like this idea of this purple thing. Okay, I see where you're going. I don't. Know, I'm, just, I'm just more curious, like if that even would prevent the the shift because the underlying wood is gonna is shifting so far from purple, mm-hmm. right? That like would the dye even have in effect, more is more like a hypothetical, rhetorical well, I mean, kind of question. Purple heart doesn't have like a really pronounced grain to it. So I mean, all dye is is just pigment, right? And you know, so is paint. So well, no, dye is it, dye and pigment is pigment. But well, go on. Dye is really really small pigment. It's all just dirt. It's just dirt. <laughs> <laughs> it's just dirt in a solution. You know. Yeah. I guess and, maybe it might help. I mean, but but with a color like purple. It's a little trickier to pull that I mean, off. I've just, I've just never heard of anybody doing it. That's yeah. why I bring it up. I guess you could, but then you get the people who are like, well, if you, you know, if you want a purple, then just use a different wood and put that same, you know, material on there to make it purple. Uh, cause right. you're, you know, I don't know. It's, it's a weird that's, question. It's valid as well, I guess. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. know. Yeah. Use ebony and turn it purple. Yes. Perfect. <laughs> yes. Perfect. No one ever talks about that and they should. People should be doing that. He's talking about turning other things in ebony. Yeah. What a waste. <laughs> All right. Let's get into our emails here. Uh, Shannon, you're up. This is from Leonid. He says, um, I have a question for the two with wood everywhere. That would not be me. I could tell you that much. <clears throat> My wife bought me a pen for our fifth anniversary made out of Olipod Burl. It's absolutely amazing, but I can't find any information on it. And how do I get some of it? I'd love to have a set of saw handles made from it when I get back from deployment. Thanks for all you do, guys. I will, I'll say thank you for your service. I'm assuming if he's on deployment, unless he's like deployed delivering phone books or something. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Did they deploy anybody else unless you're in the military? My wife deploys me to the grocery store once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lena, thanks for your service. No matter what you're being deployed to do. We appreciate sure. um, Olipod is um, Ozorora reticulata. And I know I did not know that off the top of my head. I had to look that up, yeah, right. which is the answer to the question, Leonid. I actually looked up Olipod Burl on Google. And what you'll find is the specialty dealers, the guys that that um, do like wood turning blocks and things like that, 
they tend to have a fair amount of it. Companies that specialize in live edge slabs and such, they'll find this. If you look a little bit deeper into the species itself, it's not really like a big tree with like a large bowl that you can cut a bunch of lumber into. It's kind of a weird shaped thing. So you're never really going to get large boards out of it. Good news is you were looking for saw handles. So you ought to be able to have some some success just Googling Olipod Burl. Um, I was able to find four or five dealers that had online stores that I was able to buy and pick by the board um, from there. So I would say once you get back, um, pull out the Google machine. Um, it's common enough as far as I'm seeing that you should be able to find it. If you can't find it, look for African resin wood or just type in Ozarora Reticulata because I'm sure you know how to spell that. Mm-hmm. Everyone does. In the show notes. <laughs> Very good. All right. This is from Steve. It says, hey, guys, like three of you. And wow, that's just, I'm, just, I'm, I'm back to my old, say, my old self again. Three words into it. <laughs> into the baton over to Matt. <laughs> uh, like the three of you and many most of you listeners, I woke, I were, wow, I work alone in my shop. When making something big, let's say a tabletop, it can be tricky to move it around the shop. And my partner in life isn't, and while my partner in life and everything isn't always available to help lift. Do you have any tips or tricks for handling large, heavier, awkward pieces in the shop by yourself? I, I'm interested to hear what you guys have to say for this. Uh, because for me, it has to do a lot with like overconfidence uh, and stupidity. <laughs> I think it's probably where a lot of this ends up going. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, I guess, kind of understanding yourself and, and your shop environment. And the the shop itself, if you're kind of moving things around, <clears throat> if you're actually able to move things around, you probably have a decent-sized shop. So having something on wheels or a cart or something to move things around on that is probably going to help you out a lot. Like uh, if you're building a, like a, I don't know, chest of drawers or something, having the case on a set of um, furniture dollies can definitely help kind of move things around if that's kind of what you're after. For me, I don't have that luxury. So like when I'm building something that's planted in one spot, um, unless I need to get something like on and off the assembly table, which is what I did with the uppercase of the high boy uh, repeatedly. And I'll tell you what, as that thing got heavier, I was like, this is dumb. I'm going to end up <laughs> dropping this or something's going to happen to me. Because mm-hmm. it was just, it was ridiculous. So unfortunately, a lot of times like, okay, well, I got to like, set up my schedule around working so that when Lindsay's here, she can help me and not that she actually enjoys doing that. It's like her least favorite thing to do. Huh. She hates picking things up and moving them. Nicole and uh, uh, she, they have that in common. Nicole hates well, that. They would get along pretty well. She then, gets all pissy when I ask her to come in the shop and do something. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the other thing too, is like, if I'm going to ask her to come help with something, it's guaranteed fight. It's like, <laughs> yeah. it's like, so I do everything in my power to move it by myself. Right. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> if I don't have to go down that road, I can be happier and it just it's faster. Mm-hmm. It's just nice. Um, but another example was the farmhouse table. I had to flip that tabletop over so many times. Um, so having a good strategy for flipping it over definitely helps. So for me on that tabletop, I would try and stand it up on end. So I would pick, I would like put my hands underneath it, lift it up vertically and kind of hold it vertical as I walked around the other side of the sawhorses and then kind of let it down from the other side. So having some kind of strategy behind the operation you're doing can definitely help. And then I guess a little bit of young stupidity <laughs> yeah. in there also would probably be beneficial. I think if you think in terms of only dealing with part of the weight at a time, yeah. you know, so if you're thinking about trying to lift something and you think about lifting the entire thing and it's really heavy, you're going to be in trouble. Uh, but for instance, uh, something as simple as just moving the Rubo around uh, is a little <laughs> bit tricky, right? If you wanted to move that thing. Uh, but what makes it really easy? Put, get a furniture dolly, take one end. You could lift up one side easily enough. Get the dolly underneath. Easily enough. Uh-huh. I did that like two weeks ago. Not easily enough. Well, you can't lift up one side of your bench easily. You little wow. weakling. Uh, I wouldn't say easily. I mean, I can do it. I wouldn't say it's easily. Okay. For normal sized people, it's an easy thing to do. <laughs> and all you need to do is lift up this one thing, side. You know, my bench is like four times my body weight, right? <laughs> my, I, I, maybe. You should have used, used pine. 
that's that's my mistake. Right? So <laughs> so then you lift one end up, get the dolly under there, then you can go to the other end and lift that side up, and now part of the weight is being, you know, bared by the born? Bared? Born did by the uh by the dolly. <laughs> so you can kind of steer it and move it around that way. So I've moved a lot of really heavy things by trying to take half of the weight or part of the weight and putting it on something mobile and then lifting the other side and kind of pushing it around. It's slow going, but you can do it pretty safely. That's kind of emulating what having a second person there is yeah, like. Exactly. The dolly becomes the second person carrying that side of the load. Right. Except you don't have to go no, no to the left. No, no, your left. No, to right. No, put your no. I'm going to drop it. It hurts. My hands. You didn't give me gloves. You need a break? Okay, we'll take a break. (laughs) I recommend you don't call them Dolly either. (laughs) Yeah, especially if it's your neighbor named Jim. He doesn't appreciate (laughs) it. Okay, so I think I got the next one here. Um, Jason says, I'm a newer woodworker and I'm still trying to acquire tools. I'm also on a budget. I know that for some tools, higher price means much better quality, like Lee Nielsen uh, versus a Stanley plane from Home Depot. So it's worth the expense. For others, you're paying for nicer materials and maybe longevity, but the performance is the same for a cheaper tool. What are some tools, especially smaller tools like marking gauges, knives, squares, etc., where it makes sense to spend the money? Do I really spend $115 on a start marking gauge? Or will a $15 one from Woodcraft work as well? I find this really interesting. I am uh, incredibly guilty of buying, (laughs) overbuying, let's call it that, overbuying in this category of marking gauges and small tools and things. Because a lot of times in the like super premium market, that's where a lot of these things get really fun. And if you look at like a really well done marking knife or like Dima's, uh, little tiny stubby hammers, right? (laughs) Like those all of a sudden in the guild group on Facebook, it for like a week Uh. straight post after post after post where these little brass hammers. And I'm like, guys, we got it. You know, you like your little brass hammers. It's fun. He keeps coming over to cut brass stock on my bandsaw. Yeah. I mean, and it's cool and these things are beautiful, but it's that sort of smaller tool. Like, do you need that? Absolutely not. You could just use any hammer or any mallet to get the job done. But I think you get to a point with the woodworking stuff where even if it's, you know, hobby, obviously it's a lot of people are buying with, you know, extra income so they could throw a little more at it to to get something that they find more pleasant to work with. Uh, But even as a pro, sometimes it's like, well, I'm going to invest, you know, a few more bucks in this thing. Maybe it'll last a little bit longer, but I use it every day. I may as well enjoy looking at it and enjoy holding it. Maybe it's more ergonomic, Uh, you know, so I, I myself am guilty of this. So can you guys think of any specifics uh, here? I don't know. I'm trying to think what, what would be a specific thing that, it is necessary to get that more expensive, you know, uh, elite version of something. Anything come to mind? <laughs> it's really, it's actually kind of hard. Isn't it though? I mean, I, I was trying to think of it. I wanted to pass it off to you guys cause I couldn't think of something <laughs> where that, that like, like, let's say the square is a good example. If you have a reliable, like engineer square and you go to Woodcraft or home Depot, Check the squares that are there. Find the one that's actually square because most of them probably won't be. Uh, find the one that actually is square, and now you've got a, a serviceable square. Hopefully, it'll stay that way. But you know, at least for the time being, uh, <laughs> you've got one that's starting off square. And once it is square, it's going to do just as well as any other one, no matter how much you spend on it. You know, it just needs to be square, and you need to be able to mark against it and measure with it. Yep. So, I mean, in that maybe, category, it's really maybe tough. A bevel gauge, just because they tend to slip a lot and the nicer ones don't. Yeah. yeah. You can drop them on the concrete and they yeah. don't shift. That's, that's a good, a good one. one. Yeah. But, but I've also got a vintage Stanley that's the same way. But I guess one would call that premium because it wasn't cheap. <laughs> yeah. So, man, I, I'm just looking at my, my tool cabinet and I'm, I'm the same way as you, Mark. I've got some... Frankly, a lot of my marking tools were bought for bling purposes. Right. I mean, well, think about they're, like a cutting gauge, cutting gauges and marking gauges. All right. These are things that you could do with a couple of sticks and a pencil or, you know, you could you could get the cheapest one out there as long as it locks kind of maybe on the same topic as the bevel gauge. As long as it holds its setting, it, it doesn't really matter. You know, everything else is just gravy. Right. So this is a challenging question. Um, maybe this is one to throw out to to, to folks listening. Uh, are there any of these that you think that super premium is really buying you, you know, something more than just a diminishing return? It's all like the user user experience, I think. 
you know, if you're getting the enjoyment out of using a tool that actually, like, with the square example, like, the first time I had, I got the stare in my hand, I'm like, well, there goes my desire to use any other square because yeah. this thing slides so nicely. Yeah. You can you can pull the blade out super easily and put it back even easier, and you can it just everything is the fit and finish is like perfect. Yeah, and it just operates so nicely and slides so nicely. There's no way I'm going to be using a you know home center square anymore, adjustable yeah. square because it just doesn't feel the same. And it like and it, if, it locks in without you know scraping your fingers on the knurled knob. Like you can, yeah, you can tighten it to the amount that it needs to be tightened without like really cranking down on it. Yeah, I'm not gonna let, try and bust off the locking mechanism trying to tighten it down. Yeah, yeah. What happens if you drop it? Asking for a friend. Um, I've only dropped the blade. <laughs> So I got this little nub on one side. I got to file off. Okay. Otherwise, I can't insert it into the holder anymore. <laughs> I have dropped my Lee Valley, like small pocket square, little double square dealie. I've dropped that thing like five times. And in two of those five times, it's broken. So <laughs> that's my bad. Well, was it still square afterwards? Well, how would I know? It was broken. But yeah, once well, I got it. Times. Once I got it. Two times yeah, broke, yeah, right? it was. It was still square. But once I got the little replacement doohickey thing, the little hook thingy dealie, uh, it was perfectly fine. So. I'm just, oh. I got butterfingers. What can I say? They're delicious. <laughs> delicious butter. How would you know? That's disgusting, man. Uh, you know, me looking at your fingers, my fingers. You're not watching, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to eat that? <laughs> it's almost right. a fascinating social experiment just to see what happens when you two are just left to just just let <laughs> and go and just see what happens just left to talk it's, to each other it's bad yeah we just should probably really record we should probably this just is re- when i shift into observational mode i feel like i should have a pad out taking notes he's like he's watching two monkeys in a cage smelling each other's butts <laughs> seriously you got two people that have no shame and a very immature sense of humor. Yeah, I think it's it's a disaster waiting yeah, to happen. I stick my finger in Matt's butt and then I smell it. And then I, <laughs> yeah, you I know. fall over. It's disgusting. What are we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Nicole just walked in the room and she's like, what <laughs> is going on? All what right. show are you doing again? <laughs> <laughs> this is Wood Talk, actually, surprisingly. Uh, okay, I think we are on Shannon's question. Uh, Save Jason, us, Shannon. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry about what happened to that question. <laughs> I'm going to apologize on behalf of Wood Talk. Look, for what just this is what makes question. our show different than any other show out there. We're willing to talk about fingers and butts. That what, is that what it is? I think so. I mean, it's different. Is it a good different? Yeah, I don't know. Definitely not. We'd have more <laughs> listeners if we were better at this. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on. This is from Andy. He says, I want to build my first workbench. And as the saying goes, the best wood to use is the one you have at hand. Is there a saying that says that? Should we have T-shirts made? Stickers. Stickers that say that. Stickers. Definitely stickers. (laughs) I got for free a whole bunch of hard maple baseball bat turning blanks from an old friend of mine that no longer wanted them. The dimensions on these are 12 quarter square by 42 inches. Not long enough for the 72 inch workbench that I plan on making. My question is, would it be better to still run the boards in the traditional lengthwise direction of the bench left to right and stagger them, stagger laminate them like you would do on floorboards? Or is it possible to run them from front to back? Hmm. For example, ingrain facing the, the user um, <clears throat> and the like, apron skirt style support under the long dimension for support. Could this method cause any unwanted side effects that you wouldn't normally see on a traditionally constructed bench? Dimensional instability, issues with face clamping and ingrain. I will be using a leg vise. So I, I grabbed this question because it makes me go, hmm. Hmm. I I mean, he's talking about using an apron, like a skirt underneath it, because my first thought would be, would you lose some of the stiffness? Like if you're doing a Rubo style where you had a, a span um, between the legs, would you lose some of that stiffness because you were essentially going across the grain? Even then, with 12 quarter boards laminated together, um, I think I think you would still be pretty stiff, but I still it, it would it would make me a little cautious just because you're building a workbench it's going to get banged on or whatever but if you're actually going to run an apron or skirt support underneath it i see absolutely no problem with that i don't really see there being an issue with like an ingrain face as your clamping face for a leg vice mm-hmm. i mean that's just going to be hard and i actually have both the chop and the bench laminated with um leather <laughs> on mine so i'm not i'm not really worried about 
you know, what's underneath the leather. The leather adds that little bit of, of, of cushion, if you will. Mm-hmm. I don't see an issue with this. Um, I think that apron is important though. You don't think it might, I mean, I guess if the apron is really cinching this thing down, keeping it stable with that many joints, as you go across the 72 inch length of this thing, that it wouldn't have more of a, you know, propensity to cup or something, you know what I mean? Like it just feels like it might want to kind of fold in on itself over time. I don't know because I mean, you're already talking about 12 quart of material. It's here. pretty so thick stuff, right? I mean, yeah, you're not going to get a lot of, you're certainly not going to get any movement, you know, across on each individual board, I should say. So, you know, as you glued the whole thing up into one long bench, I really don't think so because I think any, any movement you would get would also be a little bit more flexible because mm-hmm. you've got multiple pieces, right? Almost like a roll top desk, yeah. got a bunch of pieces together. I don't think you're going to get movement within each piece because it is really thick stuff. And I think in, in what you're talking about is, was my concern about that kind of stiffness. If you yeah. don't have any support underneath it, I don't even know that it needs to be like cinched down onto the apron, although that's probably not a bad idea. I mean, uh, what I would do is if you were building an almost like a Nicholson style bench with a wide apron, or even if it's not a wide apron, I would probably run intermediary braces from front to back. Like if it's a 72 inch long bench, maybe, you know, you probably have a stretcher between the legs and either end, maybe run a brace right in the middle, or maybe two braces in between the legs that connect from apron to apron, just to give you a little bit of substructure. Yeah. But if it's well supported, I don't know that there would be an issue with that. You know, even if the long-term stability is good, I think one area that might be problematic is going to be at the very beginning when you're putting this thing together. Because I found that when yeah. even gluing across the, the standard width with standard long boards, um, the more of those glue joints you have, the more of a tendency this thing is to be, you know, the final glue up to be fairly twisted or just something is not going to be flat. And I think that's going to be exacerbated if you're, doing a bunch of smaller pieces going all the way across the length like that. But, right. but if we're saying it's stable, once he flattens it, it should all be good. But well, and I'm thinking of full. this from a hand tool perspective and it occurs to me if I'm building this from a power tool perspective, actually flattening that mm-hmm. like, you know, I mean, that's the whole reason like the split top came along because you can use a typical bench top, <laughs> yeah, that's true. bench top planer <laughs> mm-hmm. and run each side through. Well, you can't do that. Like you can't run this board through across the grain. The planers don't like that very well, unless you like a fuzzy bench, in which case you're good. Well, if you have a helical um, head and maybe you have a sacrificial piece at the end, you could probably get away with it. it take light yeah. passes. Don't take Cremona passes. Take light passes. <laughs> <laughs> you might be able to get away with it. Yeah, but but, it would, I, mean, I don't think I, I, I don't know that I would want to test that out. I mean, that is a lot of glue joints. So there is a it potential is. for slippage. You really want to, you, you probably want to use, you know, a biscuit joint or a dominant or whatever, just to try to keep your stuff in line. So mm-hmm. it's not slipping around on you during glue up, certainly break that glue up into smaller kind of sub assemblies. So you're not trying to glue together six, eight, 10 of those things all at once. Um, Interesting and, question and, though. And think hard about surfacing it. Like if, if you're a hand tool freak like me, it's not a big deal because you're just going to work from front to back and surface it kind of in, in quadrants probably. But mm-hmm. if you're thinking of running that through a tool like a planer, that could be an issue. Maybe not. Again, if you have a heel of a head, it should be okay. But it's have a you guys ever run a board through completely cross grain and a planer? I haven't. I don't, <laughs> I don't yeah, know why I've done that. It, it'll be okay. I mean, as long as the fibers are supported, it's it's fine. It doesn't really make that much of a difference. It's okay. not as bad as you think it would be. Okay, good but, to know. But the router I mean, sled thing is an option. It's not totally clean like the other way, but it's not a, it's not like all torn up and mangled. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, the, last, the, workbench, the so. end is probably going to be an issue. Whatever yeah, board is at the end is going to go back there. Yeah, so that's sacrificial, but everything else should be okay. It's a rustic chamfer. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I like there that. There you go. And he's going to tear out is going to be a rustic chamfer now. <laughs> this is why I listen to the show right here. Oh, good stuff. We good? We're good. We're good. We're ready for you, Matt. <laughs> All right. This next one is from Ryan. He says, I'm staring at Greek. Sam, this is really hard again. You guys just. Why I'm staring at Greek. I just need someone to read stuff for me. I, I actually it's... edited this question because there were a few errors in it. And I did that so that you would be able to read it better. I might be able to read it after I get started. It takes okay. me a little bit to kind of get going here. All right, go ahead. Uh, <laughs> I'm staring at a great deal on kiln-dried hickory in the face. 
I want to use it to make two farm tables, but the weight is my first concern. At 1800 plus on the Jenkins scale, I assume it'll be very heavy. Correct me if I'm wrong. My first thought is to get a shiny new blade and cut coves on the underside of the boards, say 90% of the length, and leave the end square. Well, while this would definitely reduce the weight and dull a good blade, that would be uh, difficult. That would be a difficult. That would be difficult to butt stop. Butt stop. Butt stop. Butt stop. Was, uh, Cremona's <laughs> high school band's name. I'm worried about <laughs> seasonal expansion contraction. I feel like this would be. Feel like this would cause an unfortunate amount of cupping on the tabletop, delamination, spilled beverages, etc. Uh so I think this would be like a ridiculous waste of time. <laughs> <laughs> How do you really feel about it, man? <laughs> That's really stupid. Uh, so just for fun, I looked up the density of uh, hickory on the wood database, and it is 50 pounds per cubic foot. And for comparison, I looked up white oak, which is what my farmhouse table is made of, and that has 47 pounds per, per cubic foot. So I think the math was it's 6% heavier uh, for hickory. So unless you're trying to compare this farmhouse table to like your Home Depot pine construction lumber farmhouse table mm-hmm. for weight, I think you're going to be right in line with the weight of any solid wood, hardwood table. So I, I see no reason to do this. So you're saying suck it up. I get some muscles. I don't, I mean, I don't know. It's, I have the white oak table. It's heavy. Yeah. It's not going to go anywhere. So if you're really concerned about the weight, Maybe hard was not the right solution, and maybe you really want to go down this route, but I don't know if, like, I feel like that would cause all kinds of weird things to happen to the to the boards. Yeah. Removing that much material on one side like that. Well, how often are you moving the table that it's an issue? The, okay. Hey, remember we talked about the thing where, like, things we hate yeah. are acting <laughs> us? Mm-hmm. People who, like, are so concerned with how much things weigh – like as if I'm moving these things every day, like yeah. constantly. It gets moved once. I have not moved the farmhouse table. I built it there. It has not moved. And when you sell the house, it'll probably maybe stay there. Because it's so heavy. Maybe you move it more if you made it lighter. Why would I move it? Because maybe you guys want to have dinner on the on the lawn or something. <laughs> on the floor? We're like, I just move it all the way or sell the, sell the ground. Like Matt builds all his <laughs> projects to have built-in theft prevention. Right. <laughs> They're all just too heavy to move. <laughs> Actually, I was just thinking about this on the executive desk that I'm trying to plan and I'm looking at the structure and looking at a lot of three quarter inch plywood and wondering to myself, is this heavier than it needs to be? Should I be doing, you know, maybe a different strategy here and jump down to half inch ply for the panels, making it lighter. So this has crossed my mind in that same way. Like, do I want to have to move something that heavy? But again, once it's moved, the fact that it's heavy in this, once it's in its position is probably a good thing, you know, that I, that I shouldn't be afraid of, but it is something that crosses your mind. Even you sensible kinda, people you think this. You do the math and figure out exactly how much lighter it would be yeah. if you wanted to. But like in this case, like compared to any other table, it's basically the same weight. Well, and I think if he's truly concerned about it, he could fake it with the thickness of the top. He could put, you know, maybe use four-quarter stock yeah. and then kind of yeah. trim it out in such a way with, you know, end grain on the ends and then long grain strips on the side. Just don't look too close. It'll be fine. Uh, but you'll get that appearance of like a thicker farmhouse top that's actually doesn't, you know, it's just basically the trim that's giving it that appearance. So that might be something to consider that should be more stable than hollowing the thing out. Yeah, he didn't say what the thickness was on that stuff he was staring in the face, but if it's yeah. anything like that, I would consider like doing it that way. If you're really concerned about weight, just go thinner and trim it out so it looks thicker if you're looking for a thicker top. Mm-hmm. There you go. Okie doke. Last question here is from Scott. He says, since everyone always thinks you're, <laughs> thanks you for not quitting. Uh, and not that I want to see that happen, because I don't. I thought this was a really interesting question. What would I listen to then? I only settle for the best. Uh, what would you do if you actually did quit? And I first thought about this, and I'm like, well, nothing different. We just wouldn't do the show. But it, he has a more interesting, <laughs> there's more depth to this. He says, uh, not just the show, but all of your online work as well. Shannon has a day job already, but would you others have to resort to punching a clock again, or could you get enough commission work to stay afloat if you did quit, which I hope you don't. So that made it interesting. You know, just not doing wood talk is, you know, that would, that would not really change much, but what if we just, whatever reason we went away and said, no more YouTube, 
no more Instagram selfies with Matt's face in it. Um, ah. Like, what would we do? And actually, I would. I mean, I think we could still extend this question to Shannon because I know wanting to work at a lumber yard was obviously something as a woodworker that you know kind of influenced why he would even consider that in the first place. Right. Um, yeah, I would have said no to the corporate job if it were something else at that point. <laughs> so let's let's say something happens. Uh, you know, maybe maybe something happens at the job. Shannon, we'll go with you first. Um, what what might you pursue if the woodworking thing wasn't there and the lumber thing wasn't there? Hmm. You mean after American Idol? Yes. <laughs> I was going to say something having to do with music. American Idol is a good one. Gosh, I don't know. I feel like I've gotten to this point in my life that I figured it out. I don't want to change now. <laughs> I don't want to. <laughs> I, I, I swapped around enough things prior to this. Right. Um, I don't know. I would definitely move somewhere where it is a lot cheaper to live. <laughs> And I would probably like end up becoming a fly fishing guide or something like that. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I like that. Um, what about you? It would have to be outdoors, whatever well, it was. And also part I mean, of the question. someplace cheap because yeah. I'm not going to make a lot of money doing whatever it is. Well, I was going to say part of his question I think is interesting too is do you think you could survive on commission work? Well, I don't think I'd want to survive on commission work. Yeah, that's tough. Yep. I know too many people who do that and say don't do it. <laughs> I do it. You shouldn't. Yeah. What about you, Matt? Uh, I'm with Shannon on the commission work thing. Like I don't do commission work now cause I don't want to. And I don't see me ever wanting to do that kind of work. So I think I probably go back to getting a desk job, I guess. Yeah. I was, I was pretty good at that. I, I mean, it's pretty similar to what I do now. I'm at the desk a lot. Right. <laughs> what so it's would, not like any, a whole lot different. What would the desk job be? Like what field? I, I don't know. I've only done one thing besides this, mm-hmm. which was systems design and health and information systems, which I was decent at. So I guess I could do that again. I was going to do that again before I decided to follow my heart and follow my dreams and do this instead. The American dream, man. You did it. Set it on your own. But yeah, I don't, at this point though, like having experienced self-employment, I don't think I could ever go back to working for someone else. Yeah. I'm there with you. I think if I were to work for someone else, it would be for very strategic reasons, like to eventually take their job and then own a place. <laughs> That's what I do right now. In other words. Oh. Yeah. I would be uh, not the best hire. Um, I'm coming I, for your job. <laughs> yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't think I could do that anymore. I mean, if I had to, bottom line is I've got a family to take care of and I would do what needs to be done, but I would probably do everything I possibly can uh, I mean, the, the thing is, when you work for yourself long enough, um, you start to see things a little bit differently. Uh, before I worked on my own and I was just, you know, doing my science thing and, and collecting a paycheck, the the thought of being on my own was terrifying. And the fact I really admired people who could do it, and I also didn't understand how they could do it. Um, but now that I've done it for, you know, over a decade... It's a different way of thinking about things. And I see possibilities where in the past I would have seen obstacles. So I could probably see myself going into something else completely unrelated to woodworking and still doing my own thing. Because I'm at at this point where it's like between Nicole and I, we could come up with good ideas. We can make it happen and figure it out. So what that would be, I don't know exactly, but I I could tell you I probably would be very unlikely to go back into the science world Uh, logistically. I'm too far out of it and too, you know, not up on the current uh, literature and research to even be able to uh, have anything but the most entry level tech job to begin with. So um, I wouldn't be very good at it, but I just think, I don't know, once you get to that point, you know, you just figure out ways to make it happen. You know, it kind of like a bad example maybe, but you look at certain entrepreneurial types who fail, mm-hmm. repeatedly fail, yet somehow they still manage to to get enough investment income or uh, investment, uh, you know, investors, let's say, to start that next venture and try the next thing. Um, just because you fail doesn't mean you shouldn't try again. You know, so I think you yeah. get into a little bit of that mindset where you'll figure it out. You'll figure something out. And honestly, I think if I would do anything else career-wise, I think I, I would I would want to cook something with food. I just do a I'll podcast. Over. You can cook for me. I'll make you pancakes you and show you how There's it's done. There's your business model right there. Cook for Matt. There you go. <laughs> Cremona's personal chef. Let's hope that his that job well. keeps going. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, as far as commission pieces, uh, let's see. With the investment that I have in like a brand, 
and, and social media presence and all that stuff. I think I could do okay making custom furniture, but not okay to survive as the sole breadwinner. So I think when Nicole had her regular job and if I had to just kind of keep my end of the bargain up, I could probably pull that off with custom furniture. But I don't think now that Nicole works for the company, I don't think I could, you know, keep us going as a four person family here just with custom furniture. So I would Nicole's have to make getting the shop. Well, no, I would make her go back to work somewhere <laughs> else. Not with me. <laughs> Man, that's an interesting thing to ponder. So th- thank you for that, Scott. That was a, a cool question. What's interesting to ponder is how can you take the existing business model and just change the content? Oh, very easy. Because I think that's what a lot of these entrepreneurs are doing. You yeah. know, you see all these guys that have 20 different member sites or websites or whatever, and they're just, some of them are playing the the, the keyword game, playing the the SEO game. Sure. But, you know, we all have other interests, you know, could I, could I build out, you know, an online, I've often told my wife that, you know, she needs to take her voice lessons online because she has only so much time and she's got this huge demand for students. And it's like, I wonder if there's something we could do online. I, I think it would be fascinating to try to kind of repurpose your interests as long as it that doesn't kill your interests. Well, I think online, totally. You know, if you take woodworking and sub in barbecue, you know, not not that I'm that good at it. I'm definitely a better woodworker than I am barbecuer. <laughs> yeah, but when you yeah. started, you weren't a very good woodworker. So. That's true. Yeah, but now it's all tw- the personality, Mark. You should know that by now. It is. Yeah, and the, I don't have the, a good. Their one. skill level isn't all that important. But if you're entertaining and I'm having fun, you know more than me. Just a little bit. Secret to I'm, my I'm success, there. baby. Um, I'm there. But I think I could substitute barbecue in for woodworking and do okay. I don't know how well it would do, you know, go. Would I want to do it again, you know, 10 years from now? Would I still want to do that? I don't know. But uh, online stuff, yeah. But, it, you know, brick and mortar, sort of like that that type of a job that is not an online business, not quite as easy to, to sort of pop one topic in and, and sub another one in, in its place. Yeah. That'd be a little weird. Okay. Well, there you go. Interesting question to ponder. Uh, I think that's really about it for today's show. And uh, Shannon, why don't you tell them how they can uh, get in touch with us and where they can find us and all that stuff. This has been a deep show. We love interesting questions to ponder. So please send us more interesting questions to ponder. If you are feeling technically advanced, use your voice memo app and record something and send it to us at woodtalkonline at gmail.com. Or just go to woodtalkshow.com slash contact and there's a form the form there you can fill out and that fun stuff. And why do I have an echo now? I don't know. Something weird just happened with the audio. That's good good thing we're at the end of the show. That's yeah, a good thing. So anyway, yeah, that's how you can reach us. Please reach us. Reach out and touch us. Yeah, reach out. Touch Matt's butt. All right. <laughs> See you later, everybody. Uh. Goodbye. <laughs> Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.